Hey, thanks so much for checking out this episode of Golf Strategy School. Now, I know you're listening because you want to learn how to play better golf. But if you want to see how you compare to other golfers your age, you need to check out parforsuccess.com slash Griffin. That is par, the number four, success.com slash Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N. And what it will do is it will actually give you a free assessment where you can see exactly how you measure up against other people your age. And you can see where you're excelling, where you need to focus your time on. And this is an assessment, honestly, that you can take once a month just to see how you're progressing throughout your golf journey. So again, check out parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see how you measure up against other golfers your age. What's up, everybody? My name is Marty Griffin, and you are listening to the Golf Strategy School podcast, the only podcast designed to help those newer golfers, those beginner golfers, those golfers on the higher end of the handicap spectrum get over those milestone scores of breaking 90 or breaking 100 if that's what you're still working on. This is one of our Sunday conversations, and boy, is it a cool one. I really, really encourage you to stay and listen through the whole thing. This one goes a little bit longer than the rest of them, but Boy, do we dive into a lot of like exact, specific how to practice. And even more importantly, I want you to listen to the post show portion. It there's some awesome things that our guest today was able to make happen. I heard back from her. Like I was holding on to this episode to record it until I heard back from her as to her results. And boy, are they cool. I can't wait to share them with you. Let's get to the show. Hello, friends, and welcome to a conversation unlike any other, our Sunday Conversations, brought to you by the Golf Strategy Academy and Golf Strategy School. Whoa, hold up. That's all good and fun, but what we're doing here is we're talking to real golfers just like you, people who are struggling with consistency, struggling to break 90, and we are digging deep, finding out what's holding them back, and helping them make a plan towards success and achieving their goals going forward. And with that being said, let's bring on our next guest. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for tuning into our Sunday Conversations podcast. Today, I am joined by Joy Lanham. Joy is about a 34 handicap. She's just getting into the game. Uh, She says that her her best score over 18 was 116. And for nine holes, the best number so far has been a 53, which is fantastic for a newer golfer. Uh, Really just kind of trying to work on you know, balancing the pace of play with our pre-shot routine. And then like so many of us do, just how do we handle those, those kind of in-between things, the three putts or the, the drives being a little bit low or a little bit short. Uh, Joy's, like I said, just got into the game, but she does get out there and, uh, and practices. Like me, though, she shares a cold weather state. She's from Ohio. Uh, so it's definitely something that us cold weather folks have to deal with is those off season practices and what can we do to get better. Uh, but Joy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How have you been? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Well, cold, this is the good. <laughs> yeah, it's, we we had we had a a balmy stretch in February of about uh, like upper twenties to low thirties, and then it snapped <laughs> back to below zero today. So. 
the good old welcome to Wisconsin. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I have the same general question for just about everybody when they start out, and because it really just helps listeners and it helps me kind of get perspective on why golf is so important. So, you know, what are those kind of big overarching golf goals that you have for over like the next 12 months or maybe over this next coming season? I would say my big goal is to get my game, not necessarily to a certain, you know, strokes or anything like that, not numbers, but get it to a respectable point where I'm confident enough to be able to invite my clients to come play and conduct some business on the golf course and keep pace. My issue is I take a lot of shots. I just started, you know, I, I tend to feel rushed if there's people behind and, you know, I want to reduce the time, you know, reduce the bad strokes and time it takes to get, you know, in the zone and just be able to keep pace and not be flustered when I'm out there. That's awesome because it, a lot of people, they, they are just very, very focused on shooting a particular score, a numerical goal. And for someone to say, hey, I'm new, I just want to be able to, you know, to keep up and you know, have, a, have like a base level kind of competency. And you know, obviously we all want to enjoy it, otherwise we wouldn't do it. Uh, that's, that's really refreshing to hear. So you know, when we talk about that pace of play, that pre-shot routine, things like that. Could you describe to me and to our listeners like what your current pre-shot routine is? Yeah, I like to come up behind the ball first and set my intermediate target line. You had mentioned that on a couple other ones. My husband taught me that. and Pick a spot that's kind of close, and then I kind of line up to the ball, keep that spot in mind a little bit, take two practice swings, and then go for it. Very cool. That's pretty much what I do. I try to stick to it, but if I feel rushed, then it's like, well, I could just take one practice swing instead, and then I chunk it. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I know exactly what you mean. I'm, I'm a, a famous, uh, you know, struggler under the, the watchful eye. Not so much when people are like, I don't care if there's spectators watching me play. I've played in front of hundreds of people before, but when that group behind me is really kind of breathing down our necks and when it's somebody else in my group, that is the cause of the slowdown. That's when it really kind of gets to me and I have to remind myself, okay, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm taking my time. It's not, it's not me. It's, you know, these, these other situations that I don't have control over. So when we look at pre-shot routine, things like that, when you're standing behind the ball and you're picking that intermediate target and you're going through that part of your process, how long do you think you're taking in that situation? Are we talking like 30 seconds, 10 seconds? You know, what do you think it is time-wise? Lining up probably only 10 seconds. Like I can kind of, tell where I'm going for it, draw the line down and pick that spot. That part goes pretty quick. I think I'm more of a hovering over the ball, you know, too many swing thoughts. And I, I want to get the swing thoughts out of my head on the course and, you know, make it more automatic. Like you had mentioned on previous podcast, take it to the driving range, have your swing thoughts there, practice, yep. and then make it automatic. Like I need that, <laughs> but yeah. I need to practice and it's freezing outside. So that makes it a little hard. 
Yeah, I'm pretty lucky. I think I said this on a recent episode that hasn't yet published, but I had a golf simulator place opened up about five minutes away from my house. So I am absolutely loving that. My wallet isn't loving it so much, but I am very much enjoying having a place to swing a golf club when it's below zero. Yeah, we, we have one here in Columbus also. I haven't been to it yet, but actually me and my husband are taking a, a three-day golf vacation to Phoenix in a couple of weeks. So I'll get some in there. Nice. Yeah, when we talk about our practice on the driving range and how we can make sure that we're not kind of carrying those swing thoughts from the driving range to the golf course, because that's really what, that's what impairs everybody's ability to score is that they're, they're still in like this training mode. So there's, it's essentially, there's like two different operating systems. We have a training mode and we have a trust mode. And I'm absolutely stealing that from uh, Craig Jones, who was a former guest on the podcast. I think it's episode 50, if, you, if you, anyone wants to really pull it up and listen to it. Uh, but he talks about having a training mode and a trusting mode. And the training mode is what we leave on the driving range. And the trusting mode is what we use on the golf course. But what we need to get comfortable doing is switching back and forth between them and recognizing what each one feels like. So most people actually don't know what that trusting mode feels like. It's, it's that kind of thought free swing where you're like, Oh, well, you know, I was doing this on the driving range and I had that feeling and I just, I know that that feeling is going to be there. And I just have to think about tempo and target in terms of on the course. So to practice kind of going in between what I like to do is I'll do like three or five shots in my training mode where I'm actually trying to like, I do have a legitimate swing thought, whether it's like a, an arm position or a, like a weight shift feeling, whatever that swing thought may be. I'll take three to five swings with that swing thought. And then I'll, I'll kind of like, all right, this one's, for all the marbles. And then I'll have one swing in my trusting mode and I'll go through my entire pre-shot routine. I'll have visualized essentially, you know, if I'm, if I'm hitting an iron, I'll kind of imagine that I'm hitting into a green on a par three and I'll look at that and say, okay, you know, my, my green is maybe 30 yards wide. So on the driving range, it would kind of look like this. It might be, you know, 25, 30 yards deep. And I'll kind of mentally paint that picture And then I'll enter into my pre-shot routine and I'll do one swing in that trusting mode and then measure whether or not it was a success or a failure. So it's, it's, it's black or it's white. It's a pass fail situation. It worked or it didn't. And then I'll go back to my training mode if it was a failure. Otherwise I'll stick with my trusting mode and I will go through that full pre-shot routine until I experience a failure. And then I'll go back to my, training mode for another three to five swings. So just getting used to kind of operating in both worlds and not just operating in both worlds, but what that transition between them feels like, because I feel that a lot of people on the golf course, especially walking in between shots, they're just mulling over what went wrong. You know, everybody's first thought is just, it's automatically negative. Oh, well, you know, that drive went like 327 yards down the middle of the fairway, but you know, it was a little bit of a push draw. It would have been nice. if It was just straight and maybe 345 yards. It's like, no, no, you hit a 327 yard drive in a fairway. Be happy. Walk on. So 
you know, people automatically have this kind of negative assumption regardless of what the shot was, unless, you know, unless you're just knocking it dead stiff and you're like three feet away, tap in putt range. People like almost always have this, oh, well, you know, it could have been better like this. And that's very much a, a training mode thought process. So, you know, when you, when you have that experience on the course and you hit that shot, for me personally, I have a post shot routine as well. So I, I, I enter into the, the shot with my pre-shot routine. I go through all my steps, just like you laid out yours. I hit the shot and then I give myself 20 steps to either celebrate or curse that previous shot. <laughs> So I, I let myself live in that training mode for about 20 steps or if I'm on or around the green and I'm chipping or putting, I give myself like 10 to 20 seconds. So I, I let myself kind of acknowledge that, that I, you know, I satisfy my brain and say, okay, well, yes, it could have been better here. It could have been better there. All right, that's fine. But that shot is done. I can't go back and fix it. Let's get focused on the next one. And then I start, I, like, I start to analyze as I'm walking up to the shot, even if I'm, I've got 200 yards to walk, I'm, I start to analyze what I'm doing and like, okay, so here's all my different factors. This part of the green is going to influence how the ball is going to roll. And I start kind of putting my, my brain into that trusting thought process as I'm coming up to it. That way I just don't have, like I'm distancing myself from that training mindset the, the longer I wait. So I, I definitely hear you, you know, people, they can kind of get that paralysis by analysis over the ball. Yeah. And, you know, as kind of like a base level, I would say try having, you know, some of your practice once, once the thaw happens, <laughs> try having some of your practice going back and forth between the training and trusting modes if that's not working for you, then uh, what I would say on the driving range, and this goes back to an interview I did with Dave Heinen, who was actually Vijay Singh's swing coach for a period of time. And he played against like Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods in the California junior ranks. Um, he says it's a, it's a seven, seven second rule. From the time you stand behind the ball and you pick your target, so that beginning part of your pre-shot routine, as soon as you identify your target, you have seven seconds to hit the ball and you have to count it down out loud. Mm. So your, your brain has a really hard time doing more than one thing at a time, which is why we want to count out loud. And if you can do that, it's going to kind of manually push those swing thoughts into the background. You're like, all right, nope, the brain's counting down. It needs to count down and start the swing. And then everything else just kind of happens in the middle. That's really good. Yeah, I feel like I feel like you know the the physics of everything. I've kind of generally got it down, but it's yeah the mental game. I'm I'm an engineer by trade, so I'm very ah. analytical, and I need to turn that off on the golf course. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So like I I grew up with engineers. Like all of my best friends were engineers. You know, and um, actually one of them's not an engineer anymore. He decided to go on and be an actuary because he loves math that much. But <laughs> same kind of Nerd process. Alert. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You can see my little, my Dr. Who posters off to the right here. So I'm right there with them, but I don't love math that much. I stuck yeah. with finance. Yeah. <laughs> ah, oh, see, if I wasn't an engineer, I would go into finance. 
Yeah, it's it's not as uh, painstaking of math, but they were very much the same way. Where they wanted to know, like, all right, like roughly how many degrees should I set my wrist? I'm like, I don't know. Depends on your flexibility and your comfort level. I just want to see this general thing happen and make it smooth. And they were very position by position oriented, and uh, it made for some interesting teaching early on when I would when I would help them, but. Something like that, like that seven-second drill where you say, hey, I've got seven seconds. It's going to happen in seven seconds. It's either going to be you know, something that I can let happen comfortably and just be at peace with whatever's going to happen, or it's something that can be like stilted and, oh, oh my gosh, oh, we're at three. Holy smoke, start to swing. And, and that's just not going to turn out nearly as well as just kind of like a general, okay, I'm just counting down. I'm over my ball tempo and target and oh hey look i just hit it so yeah seven <laughs> seven second drill is one that i think could could really help you do you think that's something that would that would work well for your game at least on the driving range to start i think so yes yeah i, I feel like most of my issues are mental because i mean I, I do hit it pretty straight and i hit it real far because i'm fairly petite so i don't have that you know boot strength or any of that. So, you know, I have to work on my, you know, speed and twisting, but I do hit it pretty straight. So I feel like the general mechanics are in there. It's just not always getting where I want it to be when I start getting in my head. Yeah. Yeah. That's like I said, that's why I love the seven second drill so much is because it kind of forces everything else out. The other version of that, that can help. And this one really helps with tempo as well is if you hum, while you swing and so you want to do it like audibly so you can hear it and so like if you're if you're playing with your husband so maybe even so he could hear it because the idea is that you want to maintain that same tempo or that same pitch as well as you can throughout the swing because that is a good indicator that you have a very smooth and fluid swing that you're not trying to kill it Uh, if it sounds like you're trying to start a lawnmower that means that <laughs> that you're really kind of you're jerky in your swing and it can be a little bit overly mechanical in this in those situations so just kind of humming and trying to maintain that same steady pitch and it's that the the reason why i think that would also be good for you is because it's that same process of counting down out loud when you ask your brain to do something other than the golf swing a lot of times it just kind of goes into autopilot and autopilot's not usually too bad for most people. It's just yeah. kind of getting ourselves out of the way. It's like we're, you know, we're the backseat driver. We're trying to steer the swing from the trunk and it just doesn't <laughs> turn out well compared to it's like, yeah. right, let's just, you know, our, like through our eyes in that feedback loop through our brain, our brain says, hey, we're going backwards. Our hands are doing this. All right, now we're coming forward. We know that the objective is to line up that face with that ball at the bottom and it usually does an okay job at doing that. So it's kind of about removing all those variables that we have, like our thought process, our, you know, all of our swing thoughts, and just letting it, letting it flow. Kind of like taking the dams out of a stream. Yes, yeah, yeah I've dried your, your chim chimney. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, I, I feel like it does work. Because, yeah, at first I was really like, flying back and flying forward. It was way too fast of a motion. I was like, I need to slow down a little bit and swim yep. a little bit. 
Yeah, Chim Chimini, or if you just say it out loud, 101 or 1001, that same kind of, it's like a waltz rhythm is what it really is to help kind of get that one steady pace. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much power we have in a shorter swing, especially if they, you know, if they really take the club back very, very quickly it can extend that swing beyond parallel and beyond where they're comfortable going. And when we kind of pull it back in and we keep that swing to about three quarters or nine o'clock as I call it. And a lot of other people call it like that nine o'clock to three o'clock position that can get you honestly like 85 to 95% of your normal distance. And it does that because we have less moving parts because the swing just isn't as long. So we hit the middle of the club face more often. And well, is here that where my, my nine, that's why my nine iron usually goes further than my seven. <laughs> Cause I'm three quarters. <laughs> if yeah, if you take a three quarter swing and you hit that nine iron in the middle of the face, it very easily could go farther than a seven iron that's off the toe or off the heel. And especially depending on what type of clubs you have, because depending on what your equipment is, it might be optimized for someone who always hits the middle of the club face. So I, I hear, and for some reason in, in my kind of daily Facebook scrolling, I've seen a lot of people talking about blades, which are like the, the very, not difficult to hit. I mean, they are hard to hit, but they're, they're not forgiving at all. But if you hit the middle of the club face, it takes off like a rocket. So yeah, you can hit your seven iron 220 yards if you hit the middle of the face. But if you're an inch off the middle towards the toe, it goes like 140 yards. So if you're consistent enough to always hit the middle, okay, fine. Blades might be a good choice for you. But I see it all the time in like Facebook groups and golf forums and like on Reddit, people are like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I just bought a set of blades. And then someone says, what's their handicap? Like, oh, well, it's 15. Like, well, then you shouldn't be using blades because like, I always say, like, shoot under par first and then, then go buy the professional equipment because a lot of pros don't even use blades because they don't like how unforgiving it is. So that's another thing that could be in the factors, but probably not. That three-quarter swing is so beneficial, especially for newer golfers that you know, just finding the middle of the club face with consistency goes a long way, no pun intended. <laughs> okay. Well, when we're, when we're kind of looking at, that kind of makes me think, you know, if we're having some inconsistencies with our shots, obviously the better shot is going to allow us to play at a faster pace. So you, know, you mentioned that your, your drives are a little low and they're a little short. Are you having any inconsistency issues with your irons? No, not, not really. It's just the driver. I think it's in my head. I don't think it's a physical thing. I'll find out when I'm in Phoenix playing with rented clubs that aren't mine. I feel like that's maybe a good uh, starter to test that. But no, the irons are pretty consistent. My fairway uh, wood, man, I can rip that puppy. I can hit that further than my driver. I feel like that's not normal. You say you feel like it's not normal, but honestly, a lot of people say the same thing. Oh, well, my driver's all over the place. 
So I use my three wood or my five wood off the tee and I, you know, it's only like 10 or 15 yards difference and it's in the middle. So my next question is why aren't you hitting that one all the time? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, obviously at some point we do want to learn how to hit our driver, but when it comes to, like you said, playing with clients and making sure our pace of play is, you know, is at a reasonable level if we can get off the tee consistently, that goes a long way to helping the rest of it. Uh, one of the goals that I gave a listener, uh, I don't think this podcast is published yet, but one of the goals that I gave them was, you know, you don't have to be on the green in regulation. They, you know, they were talking about how they, they're always – in and around the green, but their, their inconsistency was left and right. Like distance was good, but you know, sometimes it would fade. Sometimes it would draw and it was getting them into a lot of trouble around the green because that's what a lot of golf courses do is they put the trouble around the green because everybody has to go around the green. You know, not everybody has to deal with a certain side of the fairway for like a fairway bunker or a pond or something like that, but everybody's got to deal with around the green. And so I, I just wanted him to kind of expand his thought process. And, and this might help you out as well for, for your mental game is if you were to allow yourself maybe 25 yards or 50 yards within, within 50 yards of the green in quote unquote regulation, do you feel like that would be something that you could do on a regular or a more frequent basis. It doesn't have to be every single time, but like I'm, I'm trying to think of a way that we can get you from, you know, from above 116 to like consistently shooting down around a hundred or maybe even consistently moving a little bit below a hundred. Because I, I think a lot of people, especially when they're newer, they're, they're very gung ho. They're like, yeah, all right. I hit a good shot. Now it's time to take on the flag. And that's, it's, it's kind of like a very solitary tunnel vision of, okay, the flag's the target, the flag's the target, the flag's the target. Well, the flag doesn't have to be the target. Matter of fact, if you were to ask most low handicappers or professional golfers, most of the time they're not aiming for the flag. They're aiming for a spot on or around the green. And I think with, especially with newer golfers, if we were to kind of expand what we dub the green in quotation marks, if we were to expand that out to be like a hundred yards and in, that's going to allow us to play safer to the green quote unquote. So to that hundred yard spot. And then from a hundred yards and in suddenly it's not as scary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I get so, that. Although my, my putting's terrible, so <laughs> that's, that's another problem. I feel like, yeah, I can get it near the green in the number of shots I probably should for a beginner. And then, yeah, my putting is um, consistently, very consistently a three putter, which I'm working on that. My husband got me a, like an indoor putting thing that's been perfect in our living room in front of the TV since Christmas. And I do it every day, so... I'm working awesome. on it. <laughs> awesome. 
Have you? I am committed. <laughs> because you've uh, you've you've mentioned a couple past episodes already, and and so I know you're a listener of the podcast. Have you heard me talk about the gate drill with putting before? Yes, yes, okay. I did, and I was like, oh my gosh, this, set that one. This up. is my future. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Set that one up on your, on your putting mat. You want to just put that, like, however long your putting mat is, just put that gate in the middle. So, you know, half the, the ball rolls halfway, then it has to go through the gate, and then it, ideally it goes in the hole. So you could use, you know, you could use, like, coffee mugs to create that gate, and, and you want it to be, eh, just a little bit bigger than a golf ball. Um, my my standards for practice is I always want people somewhere in a 30 to 70% success rate. So if we are, how long would you say that putting mat is? It's eight feet. Eight feet. Okay, perfect. So if you put down two coffee mugs with the bottoms facing you, so we don't want to accidentally roll the ball into the coffee mug. We want these coffee mugs to be barriers and you make those coffee mugs like maybe a golf ball and a half apart. And so now your goal is to roll that ball between the coffee mugs and into the hole. If you can do that between three and seven times out of 10 repetitions, you're learning and you're improving. If you are struggling and you're doing it less than three out of 10, then that means you are not learning because this practice is too hard and you have to do one of two things. You either have to widen the gate, which I would rather you not do, or you have to bring the gate closer to where the putt starts. So if it's an eight-foot mat, the gate's at four feet. It's four feet away from you when you start your putt. Maybe you bring it to just two feet away from you and just practice rolling it through that gate and getting upwards of that you know, 60, 70% success rate. And if you find yourself and you're doing your repetitions of 10, that you're upwards of 70% and 80%, then it might be time to move it back to four feet. So it's right in the middle again. And now you've made your practice a little bit harder and we're, we're back to that 30 to 70% success rate. And if you're, you know, if you're really knocking them dead there, then move it even further away. And so now you've got to roll the putt perfectly straight for six feet before it hits the gate. That's pretty hard, like for anybody. <laughs> so this is, this is a, a method that I call failure-based practicing, and it's what my whole Golf Strategy Academy is based off of. So the idea is that we are now making practice harder than it is to play the game. So when we go and play the game, it's easy compared to what we have been doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, like baseball players when they take their practice swings and they put the weights at the bottom. That is my exact go. You are a listener. <laughs> it's my exact go-to <laughs> metaphor, like nine times out of ten. Yeah. So and, yep, and a yeah, baseball fan too. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you know your Cleveland Indians, if that's your your team of choice, unless you're that's going great. south to Cincinnati. That's my husband's uh, choice of Cleveland. I've been a lifelong Yankees fan, so don't hate me for that. But oh, oh, yeah. Sorry, this call just ended. <laughs> the evil empire. <laughs> exactly. Although I am, I am, I am a, I am a fan of Aaron Judge. He's really, really fun to watch. 
Yeah, yeah, he's a fun guy. <laughs> but so, yeah, it's it's exactly like a baseball player putting that donut on the bat. Um, you'll find that pitchers, when they practice and they do their long toss, they actually use a baseball that's heavier than a regulation baseball to help build that muscle. Uh, track player or track athletes or football players, anyone who's like focused on straight line running speed, they run with a parachute. And it's all that same concept. They are making practice harder than what they'll be asked to do in the moment. That's good. That's good. I will definitely do the gate. In fact, well, I'll have to go to bed soon enough. But tomorrow, in my practice, I'm doing the gate. Getting these coffee cups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The gate drill is a really good one. And if, if you're really, really struggling on rolling that ball through the gate, uh, another thing that you could do is you could put rubber bands around the toe and the heel of your putter and just leave a space that's about a golf ball wide right in the middle. And so, you know, do it with hair ties. Hair ties is what we have in our house because I've got two daughters. Uh, so, you know, hair ties, rubber bands, anything that's going to deaden the face of that putter so the ball won't come off of it cleanly. But you leave, you know, just that middle, just that sweet spot right in the middle open for like the regular way to putt. And if you practice doing that, that's like the even more fundamental basic version because we're just focusing on hitting the middle of the club face every single time. And at that point, same thing. We're doing 10 in a row. If we can be between 30 and 70% successful, we're learning. Uh, But all we want to do is roll the ball towards our target. It doesn't have to go in the cup. It doesn't have to go a specific distance. We just want to get used to hitting that ball exactly in the middle of the putter and it's just a real nice basic practice something that you can do indoors that will really really go a long way to making sure a the club face is square and you're hitting the middle of it and then we're going to start working on rolling it through that gate so those are some some things we can do real quick to to help polish that short game yeah, I, I hope once again it will transfer to the actual golf course. I feel like that's a little bit easier than a full swing. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. Yep, yeah, and I, I I definitely agree with you because it's something that's that's practicable anywhere. It's also the smallest movement that we make. If we think about all the moving parts in a golf swing, the putting stroke has the least amount of moving parts. It's just your shoulders. So your, you know, your opportunity for error is much smaller. We essentially only have two things that could go wrong. It's left shoulder or right shoulder. Whereas with the full swing, it's elbows and knees and hips and back and, you know, all of the things that could go wrong. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you there that putting, which is why I like to teach from the cup out so it's like hey let's build some confidence let's build some success if we get really comfortable you know rolling that ball through the gate at eight feet you know what chances are if we have an eight foot putt we're not going to be that scared of it when we're out on the course so now all of a sudden if i'm not afraid of an eight foot putt i can make a much more confident stroke from 30 or 35 feet if i like just crawl onto the green and so now, because I'm making a much more confident stroke from there, I'm probably inside of eight feet and I have a better chance of making it. 
And now because I'm getting more and more confident from 30, 35 feet, hey, you know what? When I'm coming into the green from 50 or 60 yards, I'm not as worried about where it's going to land. I can, I can kind of let those swing thoughts go. I can have a more fluid and free swing because I know that, hey, if I'm anywhere on the green, I can probably get it inside of eight feet. And hey, if I'm inside of eight feet, I'm, I'm pretty confident and pretty comfortable. So it's almost like a, like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You build the confidence from the cup backwards to the tee box. So you get proficient with your putter and then you get proficient with your putter from further away and then you get proficient chipping and then you get proficient with your, you know, kind of partial swings, your longer chip shots, your pitches. Then you get proficient with your short irons. Then you get proficient with your mid and longer irons. Then you get proficient with your tee ball and then you have a golf game. (laughs) It's just that easy. (laughs) (laughs) But does, does that logic train kind of make sense for you, Joy? Yes, yes. And visualizing it definitely helps. I'm a visual learner, and I like, you know, step-by-step, step, a checklist. My type A brain needs to follow patterns and repetition. So. Yeah, awesome. Well, so we've talked a lot about different things that you could be doing. Like you said, you've got your golf vacation in Phoenix coming up. You got some, you know, putting practice time in the meantime. Before we wrap up our call today, I want to know what's the next thing that you're going to be working on. Oh, next thing, making scheduling time for practice and playing. Like I, I feel like I need to schedule in my mind and redo my schedule. We actually joined a golf club, so we've got the driving range, the great practice facilities. Once they open, I need to like set up a schedule. Like I have a strict gym schedule. I need to have a strict golf practice and playing schedule. So I, I just need to mentally make room for that. I feel like I can. I have time. I've got a flexible schedule, so. I feel like I could make that time. So I need to mentally get into the zone of making time for it and think about it all the time. But I kind of already do think about it all the time. So <laughs> cut that part down. <laughs> the thinking about it is down. We just need to schedule the actual practice part. Yes. Yes. Awesome. I, I love hearing that because inside of my golf strategy Academy, that is literally lesson number one. It's goal setting and making a schedule for golf. Golf's never going to happen if you don't make it a priority. So I tell people, find a spot on the calendar, go to the fridge, write it down. <laughs> or in, yeah. in my case, we have a, a Google family calendar. I'm not allowed to write on it because my wife manages everything, but I send a calendar, a meeting invitation request to our family calendar for golf practice. And I make it two hours <laughs> long for the full family. So we all get to play. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Joy. It was awesome talking to you. Finally, someone who wasn't just rubbing in the warm weather that they have, although I have a feeling that I will be hearing from you after your Phoenix vacation and you'll be rubbing that in, but that's okay. I can handle it. I might have to. I might might have to. That's (laughs) all right. Because I'm sure I've heard it's beautiful out there. (laughs) As someone who's played out there, yeah, it's it's really nice out there, especially this time of year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much for joining me today, Joy. Uh, I, I hope those practice thoughts help for you. And please keep in touch and let me know how they go. 
Definitely, definitely. Thank you. All right, so like I was saying at the beginning of the episode, I was holding on to this to publish until I heard back from Joy and her trip to Phoenix. So I just want to read a little bit from an email that she sent me today. We're talking March 11th. She sent this to me today. So she says, yes, I got back from Phoenix. It was lovely just to come back to snow, but it seems like that's done for a while. So yes, she did rub it in. But we got some good practice in before rounds two of the three days. I worked on not overthinking and tried the countdown from seven and found a more automatic rhythm going on. I even shot my best round the first day at 108 and I really limited those blow up holes. Best part was that I tied my husband. So with handicap, I beat him. <laughs> so that is something that, that I'm just absolutely like over the moon, overjoyed to hear. Congratulations, Joy. Way to go. Way to just kind of take that action, make it happen, and stick to your plan. Later on in the email, Joy mentions, a recent podcast of yours talked about the strategy on playing distances, which I really needed to hear. If I have 200 yards left, I'm always reaching for my three wood going 150 and then finishing off the last 40, typically in the sand. <laughs> Splitting up into two 100s so that I can be more consistent uh, will be much better. I just need to get out there, learn my course, and put it to use. Thanks again for the check. Uh, thanks again for the chat, and I wanted to check back. So again, more and more action that you can take to help improve your game. You can see how it worked for Joy. You can see how she's going to take things and put them into action going forward. So I really hope you do the same thing. If you want to be on one of these calls, I would love to talk to you. Even if you don't have a 20 handicap or a 25 handicap or an 18 handicap, I've talked to 12 handicaps, seven handicaps, 10 handicaps. I would love to have the conversation because I still think that there's something for all of us to learn off of this shared experience. If you would like to do that, I would love to have you. All you have to do is go to golfstrategyschool.com slash interview. You can sign yourself up. If you're looking there and you just can't find a time that works for you, send me an email, marty at golfstrategyschool.com, and I'll work on my schedule to make sure that we can find something that fits. Until next time, everybody, I'll catch you in the short grass. Cheers. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Strategy School. As always, if you want to keep it in the short grass, all you got to do is put those lessons into effect. And if you want to see exactly how you fare in terms of your physical performance to other golfers your age, head over to par4success.com slash griffin, and you'll be able to see exactly where you line up and match up with other golfers your age based off of this this free performance assessment that Chris and his team has put together. Again, that's parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see exactly how well you line up against all their golfers your age. And I'll just drop a link to it in the show notes.